He poured all of this talent into us. And if we stay stuck in fear, none of that can manifest. That's Jacqueline Vieira Iloff, author, speaker, and senior advisor at Joel Osteen's Ministries. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. And we're bringing you another guest to help us fire up our faith, put it to work, bring that bold idea to life, and get on with it. Right, Armin? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) We have with us today Jacqueline Vieira Iloff. She is the Senior Advisor and Minister at Joel Osteen's Ministries, Lakewood Church, one of the largest, if not the largest, church in America. And she's responsible for envisioning and directing the Outreach Initiative Generation Hope Project, which focuses on community service and ministry around the country. She's a frequent speaker on networking, women's leadership, and entrepreneurship. And she is the author of the upcoming book in January, What If You Could, Finding Faith in the Face of Fear. Well, Jacqueline, welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. Hi, how are you today? Oh, we're great. So glad to have you on the program. It's it's great to be on. Well, you work for one of the largest churches, if not the largest church in America. Tell us what that experience is like for you. It's uh, one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had. Um, You know, I've worked in a lot of different um, organizations, including government in Washington, D.C., and um, private sector with uh, one of the largest accounting firms in the country. And then uh, as a consultant with lots of small and and large businesses. Um, But this ministry reaches into every sector, um, every household. It's, it's such an amazing thing that God is doing. And I, you know, I pinch myself because I get to be a part of it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So what is the, what is the biggest surprise that you had? Let's back up and just say, when did you start uh, working there at Joel Osteen. Osteen. Well, let me get I, that I right. Kind of Joel married, Osteen. <laughs> yeah, Joel Osteen. <laughs> yes. Um, I kind of married into the family. Um, my husband is Victoria's brother. So even though I wasn't officially working here uh, until about seven years ago, um, I was always involved with the ministry um, since we moved to from Washington to Houston uh, about 20 years ago. Okay. So what was the biggest uh, I think if you look back over the time that you were there in serving in your official capacity, what's kind of the biggest takeaway or learning that you had from it? I mean, what's what's the thing that was most unexpected for you? Uh, when I started doing the Generation Hope Project, which is a community service uh, volunteer uh, initiative that we do whenever we go into major cities and do the baseball stadium events. So we go in two days ahead of the event and um, provide volunteers to community groups. And what was so phenomenal, so amazing about that was that God provided everything we needed. It was like, I, I didn't have to open a door. I had to, I didn't have to knock hard on the, on the doors. They just were always open to us. And, um, and the stories of blessings that happened to people um, while they were serving it, it's it's just a phenomenal, 
occurrence that I, I couldn't ever have put together in the natural. It was so God ordained. It was. It still gives me chills. It's, I yeah, can tell you stories. It sounds like a faith tingling experience. So what what stood out to you as one of those exemplary stories that you'll never forget? The thing that really just kind of drives home to your heart. Uh, the one that is, you've got to say, only God could have done this, is um, we were in New York City a few years ago, and we had been working with several organizations, but one church in particular had had a lot of uh, sandy storm damage. And so they asked us to come in and help them clean out their church. And um, it was in the Bronx. So, you know, it was uh, it was in a part of town most people don't want to go to very often Uh but um but we went in and it was such a blessing to us to be able to clean the pews and and polish them and you know clean out the debris and and kind of restore the the sanctity of the sanctuary and um when we first walked in to do the advance to kind of determine whether it was something that we could help them with we realized that the church was a synagogue originally. And we thought, boy, isn't that cool that, you know, God is using this, uh, this synagogue and has repurposed this, repurposed it as a church. Kind of an Old Testament to New Testament thing, right? I mean, it was, that alone was, you know, really cool. Uh So our volunteers came in and, you know, we, we, uh, we usually have about, three to 500 volunteers, and we allocate them randomly to the different sites. So um, as during the course of the day, we come through with Joel and do a site visit with everybody and, you know, get a chance to thank the volunteers for the work. So we came back to this church and immediately one of our volunteers came up and said, you are not going to believe what we just found out. And I said, what? Tell me. And of course they said, one of our volunteers, who is now uh, a Christian, used to be Jewish, and his his bar mitzvah was here at this church when it was a synagogue. Wow! Then, on top of that, it was his and his wife's anniversary. So the pastor celebrated their anniversary by bringing in a cake and having you know everybody gather around and, and share in the in the celebration. So I mean that that to me was such a a God moment of bringing back something that had happened in your past to bless you in your future, and it was those kinds of moments happen all the time with Generation Hope Project. There was another story of one of our volunteers. He was a life flight attendant, um, or excuse me, a um, life flight pilot. And um, he went down to Florida where he had grown up and we bought, you know, we randomly again, put him in a location where to serve uh, the community. And he saw this guy sitting on a bench and went up to him and said, Hey, you know, how's it going? You know, that it was kind of a ministry moment for him. And they started talking and they realized that they had known each other in school when they were young. And the gentleman on the bench had been a bully to our volunteer. Mm. But now the roles had kind of reversed. The, the bully had been 
you know, was in a humble situation and our volunteer was able to minister to him and put his arm around him and there was reconciliation and forgiveness. So again, I mean, only God could put that together in that way. I could have never sought to put those stories together in that manner. So to me, it's it's just a miracle. It's just miracle after miracle that he performs. And, and you know, they're subtle, but boy, they're, they're really meaningful to those individuals. Yeah, so how does that seeing those stories and your involvement with the uh, uh, Generation Hope Project, how, how has that changed you as a person? Um, it's, it's reinforced to me um, something that God had shown me when I first moved here to Houston, that if I turn myself over to him in situations that seem untenable, then he can make it so that everything works out without very much effort. And uh, I've kind of, you know, as I grew up, I used to believe, oh, you got to do it, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You got to get it done. If you just, you know, work hard enough, you'll get, you'll accomplish great things. And and there is that element to it. But if you don't include God in it, it's going to be a lot harder than if you, you know, just try to do it on your own. Um, with him, everything is easy. Everything uh, just kind of flows. You know, he's he's such a master tapestry weaver that um, that the that the ultimate product, the ultimate picture that he paints, is so incredible and vivid and beautiful uh, that why would you want to do it on your own steam? You know? Yeah. You said when you first moved to Houston, where were you living before Houston, and what were you doing? Um, I was living in Washington, D.C. I had um, I had been living there for about 15 years. It's where I met my husband. Uh, we were both working on a campaign. And I had originally moved there to uh, be part of the uh, Reagan administration. And then we transitioned. Uh, I was working at the Department of Transportation with Elizabeth Dole. And we worked on, you know, major campaigns like the seatbelt campaign, the three-point seatbelt, and the... Uh, the third light in the brake, uh, in the braking system in, in the rear. So um, I was, you know, I was very honored to have worked with her and uh, she's an amazing lady. And that's, that's another one of those stories where as I started working here in the ministry, um, she and I were reunited and now I sit on her advisory council for her foundation. Um, so I was working in uh, in government. I was working in the private sector with a accounting firm there, and uh, Joel called and said to my husband, uh, "Would you come down and help us with uh, a, a, an opportunity that we have?" And my husband really wanted to come back home, and so we looked at each other and said, "Okay, you know, mm-hmm. if this is God's will, let's go." And uh, and he showed us that it was, and uh, and we came just uh, right after my daughter was born, my first daughter was born. So that was uh, 20 years ago. So what happened in DC that really stood out to you that may have formed or shaped your faith as it is today? Well, as you may be aware, Washington is a very, very tough town to live in. If you don't have something that grounds you, um, you know, the power, the, uh, the backstabbing, the, 
the politics, they're all very, very difficult to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, I think we're reading um, about a lot of that every day. <laughs> yeah, and, and believe me, it wasn't that bad when I was there. But, um, but still, it, politics is politics. And so um, I turned to, to faith to keep me grounded. And it was John Osteen and Kenneth Copeland um, every Sunday night pouring into me um, what faith is and how to rely on God's word that really brought me through it all. And, uh, and funny enough, you know, brought me to, into the family. Um, unbeknownst to me, when I met my husband, he, you know, he was already associated with uh, the Osteen family. And um, the first time I came down to Houston to visit, we went to, um, to see John Osteen, and that was one of the biggest thrills of my life. Hmm. He was such a, a, a spiritual godfather to me. So w- were there any specific experiences that you can recollect in uh, D.C. while you were there that really just stick out to you and stand out to you that made it easy for you to transition into vocational ministry? You know, it's, it's interesting. There isn't one thing that happened. It was all of it. Um, the, the experience of, of being in politics teaches you how to deal with grassroots outreach, with uh, special interest groups, with, with people in general, with a lot of you know, problems. Nothing, you, you aren't in politics because it's an easy road. You're there to solve the big problems of, of the country and of the world. And um, when I came into ministry, um, my ability to reach into different arenas uh, was really important in what I was doing uh, with the community service. So it, it was it was funny because God never wastes anything that he you know that he brings to you, and that whole period of of secular work that I did really was the undergirding for what allowed me to do the Generation Hope Project outreach um, because it taught me how to deal with public entities, with um, nonprofits, with with um, community leaders. It was uh, it was a real skill set building um, time when I was in Washington, and it was. Um, it was, I mean, it was great fun as well. You know, you know Soren Kierkegaard once said, life is lived forward, but wow. understood in reverse. And it sounds like you're looking back and seeing some of the threads of the preparation work that he did in you in DC that, uh, that is now serving you well in Houston. Absolutely. When you were Absolutely. in, when you were in DC getting all that prep work done though, how did that feel? I mean, did it feel like it was prep work or did you feel like, what am I doing here? Uh, a lot of both. Um, I mean, I was I was eager to learn everything that I was absorbing because um, I was always in the communication office. So I was always with the principal of whatever agency or organization I was working with. So um, I was witnessing, you know, things that were impacting people's daily lives. So to me, that was that was a pinch me moment right there. Um, but sometimes I was like. Okay, Lord, why are why are we going through this? Because this is not fun. It's not pretty. <laughs> you know, sometimes um, people are competitive and yeah. um, and they they want to succeed at, at all costs. And um, th- you know, I got down on my knees a lot during that time. But thankfully, I had really good angels around me, and um, and it got me through. But um, but even before that, even before I came to Washington. I knew that God had a path for me 
um, because one thing always led to another. There isn't anything that I can look back on and go, wow, that was just a waste of time. It's, it's always been, wow, thank you. Thank you for teaching me that. Thank you for allowing me to be there because um, I'm just a person like everybody else, and God's no respecter of persons. But unbelievably, I have been in the most amazing situations in front of world leaders, kings, presidents, prime ministers. And I don't know how that happened, but uh, I'm sure grateful that it did. Mm. Well, let's talk about your book. You have a new book, What If You Could, coming out in January. Um, Why did you write it? Um, I actually gave it as a lesson to the women's ministry and it so resonated with um, my audience that I thought, oh, you know, I should really expand on this. And um, I have two grandfathers. They're both passed away now, but both of them were in journalism. And so I guess the DNA is there. And um, I'd always felt like I'd wanted to, to write a book, but, you know, life and circumstances were keeping me busy in other arenas, including having children. Uh, but now that the children are grown and I'm kind of well-established in in my position, Um, I had the time and energy to put down thoughts into a book. And, uh, you know, I think fear is a common emotion to most people, whether it's uh, a minor thing like, oh, you know, getting in front of an audience and speaking, or if it's something that's much more drastic like anxiety or depression. Um, But God says in the Bible over and over and over again, Fear not. So that intrigued me. I thought, why Why is that so important? And what I found as I went through the Bible and, and, and researched the passages on fear is that it blocks your faith. It keeps you from being in God's authority. And with God's authority, you can accomplish everything. So faith is everything. And the opposite of faith is fear. And so I set out to kind of illustrate not only why God doesn't want us to fear, but why, um, you know, as in my life, how I overcame fear. Um, and there were times where I thought, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing, Lord? And, um, and fortunately, I've always turned towards him and not away from him. And he's been faithful to me as well uh, by bringing me into amazing opportunities where I can speak his word and, and, and share his vision for his people. You know, the whole topic of fear and what you're talking about here is, you know, it's often discussed in churches and we read, read about it in our Bible, fear not for I'm with you. And, um, and yet when you're in the grip of fear, right, it's, it's really hard to turn and push through it. Uh, so how have you done that in your own life? Give, give an illustration there, maybe a time when you were gripped in fear and you're applying the principles of your book to get through that. Um, well, when I decided to go to Washington, um, I had grown up in Southern California. Everybody I knew was there, uh, friends, college alumni, you know, my, my world was centered on what was happening in Southern California. And I had a friend who was, uh, the head of the California Republican party. And I said, you know, I really feel like I'm, I'm being led to, to work in politics. And he said, okay, well, come and work on this campaign and see if you like it. And I loved it. And it sparked uh, an inside of me something that wanted, that said, you've got to go to Washington. So um, 
I taught, I sat down and talked with my mom and about it. And I said, well, you know, what should I do? I have this great opportunity to go to Washington, but I don't want to leave California. And she said, very practically, my mom is very practical. Go. If you don't like it, come back. You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. <laughs> you know, if faith, you're, you have to step out in faith. Good old mom said, advice, right? I know, right? So I said, okay, if, if, if it's that simple and, and you know, and, and she, and I'm not going to look like I failed if I don't, if, if it's not for me, then I'm going to go ahead and do it. Well, I left California. I've never looked back. I've never moved back. I've, I've lived in Washington. Now I live in Houston and, uh, you know, my mom and I are still very close. We talk all the time. And, um, what I, what I found was that if I rely on my faith, I can accomplish great things. If I dwell in fear Everything shuts down. There's no accomplishing anything because fear will keep you from everything that you're supposed to do. That's that's the nature of fear. It's it's what got us kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You know, well, the first thing he said to them, um, "Why are you hiding?" And he they said, "Because we were afraid." I mean that that kind of just launched it all for everybody yeah, right there. Right. Well, we all grapple with that. I think we all have it. Um, I would probably pause it to say we it'd be hard to live in an absolute fearless life. Would you agree? Oh, yes. Uh, but you have to you have to identify what the root of your fear is in order to be able to overcome it. It's not that bad times won't come. It's not that fear won't try to, um, you know, work its way into your mind and in your heart. But it's how you overcome it. And in my book, you know, I, I go through the various ways that you can overcome fear by identifying it. Sometimes when we're afraid... We mask it with anger in order to not let anybody know how fearful we are. Sometimes it mas- it manifests as anxiety, and you know we stay up all night because we're afraid of whatever the bills or the children or whatever it is that we're contemplating ruin for. And um, it's it's about stopping that thought process and getting into the faith thought process. You know, confronting fear and saying, "No, you will not have a place here." I'm going to address it with faith and believe that God is going to do it and work it for my good. Yeah. So let me, let me pull your mom out of you <laughs> by, by, <laughs> by asking like a practical, like, okay, somebody's gripped in the fear, like maybe they're, they're fearful of their financial situation. I think like you described and they they've got a lot of anxiety. How do you counsel them to, to deal with that? If they're like totally just seized in fear, what are the steps that you take them through? Well, basically, the first thing you've got to do is identify your decision-making process. Uh, I tell my girls all the time, you make good decisions, you get good outcomes. You make bad decisions, you get bad outcomes. And there's really no other way of looking at that. Uh, You've got to drill down and really look at the truth of the matter. Are your finances in bad shape because you haven't been a good steward of your money? Have you been frivolous? Have you been extravagant? What is it that's causing these problems? Or is it that you don't have the right job and you're holding yourself in this job because you don't think very much of yourself and aren't willing to go out and and explore other opportunities? So you really have to confront your fears and call them as they are. And then you can get past them. Then you can say, okay, I made this bad decision, but God, I'm asking you to come in and help me make good decisions? How do I turn this around? 
And I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying it's a it's a fairy dust. Faith is not fairy dust. It's not you know it's not believing in Santa Claus. He's going to come down the chimney and leave all the gifts. It's hard work. It's real soul searching, faith building work. You know, if if you want to get skinny, you don't sit at the ice cream counter. You go and you start exercising and you start eating healthy. And, and that's kind of the way you have to address fear and anxiety and depression. You have to really address the root causes of it. And sometimes it's about unforgiveness. Sometimes you don't want to forgive yourself for something that you did, or you don't want to forgive somebody else that did something to you. And so you're willing to live in that victimhood. Well, you know, in, in our ministry, we say we're not victims, we're victors. And, and you have to confront those fears in order to become victors over them. So I'm not, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how do you, how do you suggest one identifies their fear? Is it, is it just a meditation thing? Is it just processing journaling? Is there, is there a practical way of doing that? How do you identify fear? Because it, it seems so elusive. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think I agree with that. I think fear is a very tangible thing. You know, when you're afraid to do something, you know, when, when it's holding you back because it's it's not allowing you to move forward. Um, if if you're yelling at somebody who hasn't done very much to you, but you know you feel like they've disrespected you, you've got to look at yourself and say, okay, what is it about me that feels disrespected? Because people are just a mirror of who we are. You know, um, I think sometimes. Um, if we're in in depression, you you have to go and and identify what caused you to get to that moment. And sometimes, you know, clinical depression is is something that you have to go to the doctor for. Um, so fear is is something that you have to identify and and be able to um, to work on, just like you would if you had. Uh, you know, a broken arm or, or some other uh, problem physically, you'd, you'd go to a doctor and you'd fi- try to find out what the remedy was. Well, with fear and anger and anxiety, um, you have to look in yourself and see where things are. And like I said, I don't think it's an easy process. I'm not suggesting that it is, um, but it is a process. And uh, I tried to take you through it in the book uh, you know, through all the different faces of fear. And what are some of those faces of fear? Is that the anxiety and anger and things that you were talking about? Or is that, or are we talking about something else? Yeah, no, it's, it's that. And, you know, it's, uh, eating disorders. It's, uh, it manifests in, in all the ways that we doubt ourselves and mm-hmm. we don't turn ourselves over to God. So, um, you know, there's any, anything that you can think of that holds you back from your best, um, is is a is a manifestation of a fear one way or another so once we have these fears identified you talk about new ways to step out in faith what are some of those ways that you suggest for people to step out in faith um well I, the first thing is get into the word of god you have to you have to identify what his promises are and um you know there are numerous uh, verses and affirmations in my book that you can go through um uh, to kind of overcome that to say, you know, I'm not going, today I'm not going to stay stuck in fear or today I'm going to step out in faith with God 
and allow him to work in my life. When you have a reader that's read your book, what is the core thing you want them to come away with? In other words, how would you be best complimented if they, if they said, you, I read your book and this is what happened? Um, that they ask the question, what if I could? What if I could do all that God has called me to do? What if I could step out in faith and have those things that would bless me come into, come into being? Um, the worst thing that can happen is that you stay stuck in fear and you never accomplish anything for God. Um, you know, he poured all of this talent into us. He gave us the mind of Christ. He gave us a spirit of, of overcoming. And if we stay stuck in fear, none of that can manifest. So what you want to do is say to yourself, well, what if I could find faith instead of fear in my life? And what, how does that manifest? And what is God asking me to do? I mean, if, if I had not accepted God's challenge to, to do the things that I've done in my life, um, you know, I, I probably would have had a, a very nice, quiet life, um, but not have accomplished anything or not have impacted the people and the lives that I've impacted. And I don't say that arrogantly. I'm, I'm you know, I'm just a normal person, but I know that the things that I've been involved in have changed people's lives, have, have shown them how God can live and, uh, and act on their behalf in their lives. So I'm very, I'm very happy to have been that servant for, you know, Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, how can our listeners find out more about your book? They can go to my website, JacquelineVieraIloff.com. And it's J-A-C-K-E-L-Y-N-V-I-E-R-A-I-L-O-F-F.com. I'm sorry, that's a mouthful, but well, don't worry. We'll have the we'll have the link to your website in our show notes, so they'll be able to great, get to that very great. easily. Let me let, let's leave with this question for you: What is your next bold idea, and what scares the heck out of you about that? Um, writing another book, but um, but I've already got it pretty much down, so I'm I'm excited more than afraid. Uh-huh. Um, but it's uh, you know it's challenging. You want to make sure that uh, you're providing good, solid counsel for people and, uh, and that it blesses them. And it, again, that it changes their lives for towards God instead of away. Well, that's our prayer for you and our prayer for the book that you just wrote and the one that you, you are writing. Jacqueline, thanks for being on the Bold Idea Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You bet. God bless, Jacqueline. God bless you. Merry Christmas. So, Armin, we get to debrief now on what we just learned from Jacqueline. Yeah. And I I think what I heard her say is the first part of the process is you have to identify fear. And until you identify fear, there really isn't a holistic way for you to embrace faith in those situations that seem to paralyze you with fear. And and I do agree with that. And I I think historically that's been hundred percent true for me. I've never really been able to break through to anything until I've identified what it is I'm fighting against yeah. or fighting for. You know, as I was listening to her and just thinking about uh, this topic of fear, and I guess I've never really put my mind around this quite in the same way before, but I, I just wondered if fear isn't always with us. I mean, it's manifested, as she said, as part of the fall. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, we could ever truly be a hundred percent fearless. So it was something we're going to carry with us uh, 
at all times. Right. And there's different kinds of fear. And there's different kinds of fears. And there's, well, yeah, that, (laughs) but you know, the, the, and there's, there's safety fears and there's there's a good fear. But I think she's talking about the kind of fear that keeps you from being God's best. Right. From doing the thing that God has, has wanted you to be. In other words, you know, you look at the parable of the, of the minas, you know, and the King gave uh, a, a, uh, minas to each of 10 servants and right. the one that hid his under a pillow or, you know, other translations hid his mina. Yeah. Uh, he did it because he was afraid. Right. Right. He didn't want to lose what God gave him. He didn't want to lose what God gave him. And he, he felt like he would have a severe punishment. And that, that is a whole parable of fear. Yeah. And I mean, it's parable has other implications as well in terms of how we invest. But I see that as a, as a, a striking example of a life that I don't want to be paralyzed. I don't want God to say, you know what? Uh, that could have been put to use yeah. in a different way. Right. You know, and I think that's probably true of all of our bold idea listeners, right? We're listening and wanting to apply an idea that might be God has planted in our lives. And yet with that idea, if it's truly bold, it will have an element of fear that comes with it. Yeah. That that's going to be there. I'm, I'm genuinely curious uh, how people go about identifying their fear. So I, 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 because this is something I have to process Mm -hmm. all the time on a clinical level, even right. Like it's been a part of my life for so long um, that I, I'm genuinely curious if someone is listening right now and they say, here's what I, here's the process I use to identify my fear and here's why it worked or here's why it's effective for me. I genuinely want to hear it from you. So if there's any way you'd be willing to reach out to us or contact us yeah, to tell us put a comment in our show notes. Yeah. I yeah. really want to hear from you because this is something I've been processing a lot and I do want to put that content in a book and I do want to hear from you. So if you have that, please share it. Cause I do feel like there's a lot of people out there that struggle with that one part, which is identifying their root cause issues of fear. Mm-hmm. So yeah, please reach out. Well, and of course, getting that level of introspection is important and having a, a discipline to do that. You know, I, I think that for me, one of the takeaways of the show is to recognize that A, fear is pervasive. Yes. B, it's going to be attached to any bold idea that we come up with. C, when it does come to take the time and step back. And as she said, look at your decision-making paradigm, you know, yeah. and when she said that, it kind of reminded me of that scene from Sahara with Matthew McConaughey and they have this <laughs> helicopter shooting bullets at them and his little sidekick says, I think this might be a good time to reevaluate our decision-making paradigm. You know? <laughs> when we get in tough situations and we get stuck and we get gripped in fear, it might be a good time as Jacqueline suggested to examine our decision-making paradigm and make yeah. sure that uh, the road that got us there is, is, uh, is whether that's a good decision or a bad decision, what we're going to do about it. But it also reminds me of something else that I learned from one of the um, programs that I've been on. And that is just to embrace reality. And reality is your friend. And oftentimes when we're gripped in fear, we want to to think that reality is not what it is. We're not willing to look at reality and say, hey, this is my situation. She talked about that. You know, if your financial situation isn't right or whatever, but be square about what decisions made got you there. And and see reality is your friend. Mm. And when you can embrace reality as your friend, it really helps dissolve that fear. Yeah. And I think that's a big, big issue that I find in my own life. And I found in other leaders that I have mentored, mentored or, or coached is, is helping them understand that reality is their friend. They don't mm. need to hide from it. 
you know, because oftentimes just facing the reality of something can be very convicting. Right. You go, oh man, I thought I had done that better. Or, you know, you, your ego doesn't want to sometimes see reality as reality. Right. And that's when fear will kick in. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of times it's the opposite is true too, you know, where <laughs> you're a lot harder on yourself than you really need to be. Oh, totally. I mean, at least it is true for me. I mean, I find that that's, that's often the case. And so fear becomes, well, it's always self-fabricated, right? Right. But it becomes even more heightened, I think, when that's the case. And you're, you're not living up to your own expectations. And so you beat yourself down. There's a whole shaming element and we could get on and on and on about that. Right. But you know, one of the pieces uh, that I liked about this interview was, was basically her mom's very simple advice, you know, go and you can always come back. Right. And uh, it reminded me, as she said that, of a, a letter that Jeff Bezos wrote, either to his employees or shareholders, a couple of years ago. And I think it was a shareholder letter. And he talked about the he talked about decision making. He talked about one way doors and two way doors. Mm-hmm. And one way doors are those that you commit to that decision, and it There's you no can't go back. back. I mean, yeah. it basically, you you committed to it. Two way doors are those. Hey, if it doesn't work out, you can always go back. Inconsequential. And what made me think about that was that I think many times fear has us believing that every decision is a one-way door. Right. And in often cases, and I think even Jeff says this in his letter, very few decisions are actually one-way doors. Hmm. And yet if fear has us believing they're all one-way doors, then we believe that somehow we make a decision that that is irreversible it puts so much pressure on that decision to be right. Yeah. And we don't then experiment. We don't take, or you never take the, you don't take the risk or take way too long to make the decision where, in which case it becomes an in, becomes a decision because no decision becomes a decision after some point. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I think just recognizing the fact that most decisions are in fact, two way doors, not one way doors. Right. That can help. I think for us that might be fearful about something. So, you know, maybe if you're thinking about an idea that God might be inspiring you and you're wondering whether you should pursue that, maybe it's a new job or a change of location or, or a new initiative that you might be thinking about or a project or maybe, um, you know, something that you might do with somebody. Think about whether that decision is a one-way door or a two-way door. Is it something that, you know, if it doesn't work out, you can always come back, as Jacqueline's mom told her. That's right. <laughs> Don't let it hold you back. It's okay to fear or fail once in a while. Even even the failure can be a great, great thing that happens to people because that could be the thing that forms you into exactly who you want to be. Exactly. Well, if any of you have some suggestions on how to overcome fear, as uh, Armin had uh, asked about, or if you have some thoughts on this topic that you'd like to share, please visit our show page at boldideapodcast.com slash five one. There you'll get the link to Jacqueline's books and her website, and uh, and you can leave a comment for us and let us know what you think. Or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA, 612-568-4332. We'd also love for you to review our show. We thank you for those of you who have referred our show to your friends. Uh, you can review it on either iTunes or Stitcher by simply going to boldideapodcast.com slash review. So thanks again for listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. And until next week, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi Saying so long. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.